Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson, and today we're so glad to have with us Dr. Jason Allen, president of the Midwestern Seminary. Uh, if you're just tuning in to the ups and downs in higher education, you may not know that Midwestern is enjoying another season of historic growth. Enrollment is up, the campus is expanding, and the influence of the seminary is being felt far and wide. And this resurgence began five years ago with the election of this man to the head of the table. Dr. Allen, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Jared, thanks for having me. It's a delight to be with you in the studio. And, and for once, on the other side of the table. <laughs> that's the right. I sat in your seat. I hope that's okay. That's okay. It's disorienting, <laughs> but it's okay. All right. We'll, we'll make do. Uh, you know, before we talk about the incredible um, upswing here, why, why don't you give our listeners some of your personal background, how you came to know the Lord, what the call to ministry looked like for you, that sort of thing. Yeah, thanks for asking. So I I am now uh, 41 years old, just recently turned 41 a few weeks ago, and uh, from Mobile, Alabama. Grew up in just a kind of a standard southern, middle-class, southern Baptist home. Uh, My father worked at Kimberly Clark Paper Company. My mother was a homemaker, two older brothers, six and eight years older. Sports was a huge thing in our family. We all three played sports. We all three played college basketball. And so I grew up in, you know, just kind of a relatively ordinary, uh, just family, second half of the 20th century. Um, My father became a believer when I was about five years old. My mother had been a believer, and so as a kid in the 80s and uh, growing up in a Southern Baptist church was kind of the norm for us. A large Southern Baptist church, Cottage Hill Baptist Church, then we averaged, I guess, probably 2,500 in the kind of late 80s, early 90s, which was a really big church then. Uh, but in the middle of kind of Bible belt, though, if we can say that. So I grew up in that context. Sports was a big thing. I, I was increasingly aware of my sin as a teenager. And as I heard a chapel speaker here say uh, a while back on campus, uh, he, he made a comment. Uh, Jed Coppinger made a comment about his teen years. And he said he really liked what Jesus had to offer for all eternity. He just didn't like what Jesus had to offer for this weekend. <laughs> and right. that was kind of me in a nutshell. I wasn't really rebellious. I mean, I wasn't into drugs or alcohol in any pronounced way. The latter in any pronounced way, the former not at all. But uh, but just sports was my thing. And uh, I was going off to college, Jared, really desiring to kind of close the door on the spiritual reality in my life, going away from parents, going off to college, living on a campus, and thinking that step would get me away from the conviction I was feeling more and more in my late teens. So I got off to college thinking that this will be this will be put to rest and I'll just kind of have joy and liberty. And instead, I go off to college and, and that conviction becomes more pronounced. That emptiness becomes more pronounced. And I realized closing the door on parenthood and morality and local church and all that did not take that away. It, it exacerbated. So I'm, I'm a freshman in college, one month in, go home. Uh, for a weekend, go to church on Sunday morning, and and just, man, conviction just overwhelms me. And I'd been wrestling with that for a period of weeks. And that morning, just in, you know, kind of a, a simple way, just walked forward to the invitation um, and just crying gave my life to Christ. Hmm. And so that was my freshman year in college, playing basketball and just find myself getting to kind of share my testimony, a little context as a college athlete. Find myself very much an anomaly on campus. Don't know how um, my campus was very secular. It was a Jesuit is a Jesuit institution. Not many believers at all on campus. So I'm just an anomaly. I'm not drinking. I'm not partying. I'm just like a guy. And uh, playing on the basketball team to so a certain degree of visibility with that. But kind of find myself talking about following Christ, talking about my testimony, 
And uh, and then kind of my junior year, a couple of things happened. I, I meet a guy named Dan Dumas, who many of your listeners will know. Dan was served at Southern Seminary for a number of years. Dan was my college pastor. And so I began to, to really involve myself in a college ministry. Now, I was very involved kind of dabbling in ministry and very intentionally pursuing Christ, but I wasn't involved in a college ministry. So that was a step. Then about that time, my junior year, I, I got to know Steve Lawson, who was the yeah. pastor of Dolphin Way Baptist Church in Mobile at that time, and began to go to Dolphin Way Baptist Church simply because it was right across the street from my college. So I practiced on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. I could go to church there and be back in time for practice. So I hear Steve preaching, never heard expository preaching before. It's pretty eye-opening for me uh, that someone would unpack the text and begin to connect dots theologically, biblically. And so it, it was very informative for me. My heart began to well up with a desire for ministry. So throughout my junior year, that's becoming more pronounced, more pronounced. I uh, find myself walking away from my college basketball team to pursue ministry, not knowing what that would really entail. find myself as an intern then for Steve Lawson and wound up serving there for three years on staff and then launching off to seminary in 2001. So moved, moved a little, sorry to give a long answer here, moved no. a little in 2001, was there 11 years, did the MDiv degree, the PhD degree, uh, got married in the summer of 99, had five kids in Louisville. And we were just one big happy family in Louisville, literally one big happy family in Louisville, when out of the blue, the search committee here reached out to me in uh, the spring of of 12. Yeah. Well, I want to hear about that, about that process. But taking a step back, your time in pastoral ministry, what would you say um, in that time prepared you for this ministry now? Yeah. So I, in as much as I sought to uh, plan or envision my future in pastoral ministry, I thought kind of in the mid to late 2000s, this was going towards a a Mark Dever type local church ministry. And by that, I mean, I mean, pastoring a church um, and as a pastor being theologically minded. So for me, why I did a Ph.D. was not like in eight years or or whatever, X amount of years, I'm going to be a a seminary president or even working in a seminary context, thinking I really want to be a pastor, called a pastor, and I can see myself pastoring. Now, it's funny, I'm I'm interim pastor right now, First Baptist Jackson, Mississippi. And I remember thinking, I can really see myself pastoring like in a Jackson, Mississippi or Montgomery, Alabama or (laughs) Nashville, Tennessee, a city that's in the south where I'm from, in a church context, but perhaps there's, uh, you know, the capital city where there's people with... um, with with education, and so it'd be helpful from a missiological standpoint to have a PhD. Right, right. So, uh, but institutionally, I mean, did, did you sense just the the leadership skills in 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 that ministry that you thought you know I need to lean into this, or how did that sort of? Yeah, you know, and I'm going to give an answer that uh, may sound spiritual and may sound simplistic, and both may sound artificially. So, honestly, I have never been that vocationally intentional. Um, I've always worked hard where God's put me, um, sought to be faithful. I've never had a resume in my life. No, I have. I literally <laughs> okay. haven't. Wow. I've never had a resume in my life. Um, now, when this search committee for Midwestern reached out to me, um, I had to provide documents and engage that in a serious way. But I've never been the guy that had resumes floating around or anything. I've never applied for a position, yeah. a ministry position in my life. I've just kind of been somewhere serving and, and doors kind of began to open and, and people called me. Um, as it relates to at Southern, so I, I, I'm there an MDiv student. I complete the MDiv. I'm pastoring out by Fort Knox, which is about 40 minutes from campus. Loving it there three and a half years, going on four years. The church was growing healthy, just a joyous time for me and my family. Dr. Muller calls me uh, around Christmas time of, of 05 and asks me if I would consider serving as assistant to the president. He and I had a relationship on campus, and he had been kind to me in some different ways. 
And so I, I went with under certain criteria. I said, uh, I want to, to want, you know, believe God's called me to do this, would want to still be able to pursue the Ph.D., which I was just starting at that point. He said, I affirm that. I said, I still want to preach and serve the church. And whatever doors that God wanted me to do that, he said, I affirm that. And so I, I went there, and January of 06 started serving in the president's office and was there at 6 or 7, 08 through midway through 09. And, and I found two tracks really paralleling in my life. Uh, one was an ongoing love for the local church. The other was an um, ongoing interest, and then aptitude for, I think, and then love for theological education. Yeah. And then in 09, I transitioned to another role there at Midwest at uh, Southern Seminary as vice president for institutional uh, advancement and was in that role for about three years and getting to teach some. And so I was just, again, kind of this this. Just, just kind of going forward day to day, year to year, with both of these loves coming together, and still thinking if I ever left Southern, I wasn't looking to leave. I'd, I'd leave to go pastor, not to serve in, a, in an institutional setting. Right, right. Well, all right. So let's talk about the search process. I, I find the story really fascinating and, and interesting. So talk about um, first of all what they were looking for, what was needed, and then some of the you know pitch you had to give to um, not necessarily the trustees, but some of the you know, hard sell folks. Yeah, I'll tell you, there's a couple of uh, many portions of it are humorous looking back. But uh, one point is especially humorous. My last year at Southern, so that was, um, you know, 2012 and the end of 2011, I, I didn't complete my Ph.D. until December of 11. And so no one completes a Ph.D. then gets hired to be, you know, president of something a few months later. And um, again, I, it wasn't that I was dragging my feet. I just was was working more than full time at Southern. I was preaching every Sunday in interim and kind of teaching pastor context there in Louisville. And we were just want to make a happy family. I wasn't trying to complete a degree to leave. I, I was just content to kind of continue to push the ball to move the ball downfield, move the ball downfield. I'll graduate one day, and, and we'll be happy then. And so in um, kind of early 11, I just said a go. Right, I'm going to graduate in December 11 if it kills me, and kind of work backwards how to get the, this, this dissertation done. So I, I got it done December of 11. Well, that last year there, I had several different Christian colleges and kind of Baptist colleges reach out to me about about the vacancy and, and the presidency at those schools. And for me, I didn't seriously interview. I didn't seriously pursue any of those. But it was kind of a little bit of a, okay, well, well maybe there could be a bigger door that may get open. And also for me to kind of filter through, you know, in my heart, like what if I leave here, what would I leave here for? Right. And for me, I realized my calling it just wasn't to be president of a Christian college. And without getting going down a rabbit trail there, that, that's just not me. Just the calling, the work is just not what God was calling me to do. So here's the humor story. So I'm in my office at Southern, and this is like May of 2012, and Jimmy Scroggins is an old friend, and he's on campus that day. And he and he's just kind of pressing me about, um, about a particular Christian college. Did the presidency was open, he knew they'd reached out to me. And I said, Jimmy, you know, I, that's kind of you, but I, I've dis- I think I've about decided that um, that if I'm going to be at Southern, but if, if God were to move me, it would be to be a seminary president. <laughs> and I kind of threw that out there, not meaning I'm going to be a seminary president one day, but meaning I'm really here for the long term because yeah. these presidencies don't come open that often. And, you know, when they do come open, what's the likelihood of you know, any particular guy getting it? So anyway, well, like two days later, Midwestern, I hear from. <laughs> and so this thing speeds up. And then from May and then in September is when the announcement publicly, not that I've been hired, but I'm the nominee. So it gets public. I'm the nominee. And Jimmy calls me and he said, Jason, I, I still remember he's laughing. He said, he said, this is amazing. I'm in your office in May, just a few months ago. And, and you just kind of casually say, yeah, I've about decided if I leave from the Senate president. And then he says, 
He said, you, you just need to, like, casually decide to be a billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> and I started, I said, Jimmy, yeah. I promise you that that's not how it worked. Right. I wasn't even thinking of leaving or anything. And just, you know, God kind of opened this door. So, yeah. um, so the process, Jared, for me was there in Louisville, having a great time, loving my wife, loving my kids, young family. And uh, I was taking lunch by, by David Dockery in, in late May. In May, and he just reached out to me and said, um, he said, you know, what do you know about the Midwestern's vacancy? I said, honestly, Dr. Docker, I've not thought much of it. And he began to ask me some questions about what I thought a seminary president ought to be and do. And uh, honestly, I'm, I think I'm a pretty alert guy socially, but I wasn't even thinking about, like, me at that point. I'm just having a conversation with him. And then he says to me, he says, Jason, look, uh, your, your name's under consideration there. You need to treat it seriously. Um, I think you'll be one of the finalists. And I was just totally oblivious. I said, I said Dr. Mm-hmm. Docker, you're very kind. I, I don't really see that happening. I said, first of all, I'm a very young man. I was 35 years old. I don't think they're looking for a 35-year-old man. I don't think they're going to be looking for a 35-year-old man from Southern Seminary for a host of reasons. Um, I just That's kind of you, but I don't think so. Well, then, just, I don't know, a couple weeks later, I suppose, uh, Bill Booyer, who's went to be the Lord, was chairman of the search committee. He called me and asked me um, to, if I would take it seriously. He said, look, you're, you're a candidate here. You're, you've been nominated. Uh, you've been nominated, uh, recommended by, by a number of people we respect. Will you please take it seriously? And so I said, yes, sir, I will. And there's a process. They start with, you know, a whole bunch of candidates and kind of gets winnowed down. And over the, the course of that summer, um, it kept getting winnowed down. And so for me, uh, I, I did feel a sense of um, calling to go through that door of engagement. And I, I had never went through that door with another school, seminary, Christian college at that level. And um, for me, so what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm working through what would I want to, to, to do with a seminary. So if you kind of, you know, the old analogy of the dog that catches the garbage truck, you know, what do you do with it if you catch it? And so for me, um, just a very clear sense of wanting to build a seminary to serve local church. Um, seems obvious, but, but unfortunately it's not that obvious in higher education today in theological education. So, so what, what I did is um, just scratched out a vision. And so I sent them a document, um, Jared, that was um, about 25 or so pages about what, what, what this would look like. And again, I don't know what's going on on their end, but I know the search committee now, I, I, I'm informed more that that kind of narrow this thing down to, to just a handful, about about four people, and then through process of elimination, you kind of, you know, four, three, two, one. And then I also give another document about 15 pages, so about 40 pages total, just laying out what I thought a seminary should be and do it and how we would get there. Now, the reality is I, I didn't fully understand the um, some of the challenges that were here then, financial and otherwise, but I gave them a, a real thorough roadmap as to, okay, if you sat out with Jason Allen, here, here's where we're going to seek to go. Yeah. No, that's great. Hey, let's take a break here for a minute and hear from our hosts at Midwestern Seminary. Midwestern Seminary's 81-hour Master of Divinity degree prepares you for ministry today and tomorrow. Midwestern Seminary's flagship degree program is our primary track for ministry preparation. Requiring only 81 credit hours, the MDiv program is an efficient option for students, equipping them to serve the church in pastoral ministry. Residential students will be trained in a unique community environment passionately focused on the local church. Online students can earn the full degree without leaving their current ministry context. Come be a part of one of the fastest growing seminaries in North America as we develop a new culture of discipleship devoted to the local church and committed to taking God's unchanging word into a rapidly changing world. Visit mbts.edu slash mdiv today. 
All right, we're back. We're chatting with Dr. Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, at your election, as you mentioned, um, you were 35, you said? That's right. So the youngest president in SBC seminary history. Does that matter to you? Is that meaningful to you? Or is it just kind of, ah, it is what it is? No, I need to clarify that. I don't actually think I'm the youngest president in SBC history. I, I certainly was the youngest president uh, when I was elected. Uh, and I was t- I haven't done the research on this, but I was told when I was elected I was the youngest president in, in American higher education. Now, oh, I know wow. others have been elected at young ages. Al Mohler was 33, I believe, at okay. Southern. Um, Duke McCall went in his, I think Duke McCall was 37 when he went to Southern Seminary. Bra- uh, excuse me, Boyce was in his 30s when he went to Southern Seminary. Paige Patterson when he, was in his 30s when he went to Criswell College. So anyway, there have been other men elected when they're in the 30s. Sure. But it, it, look, it, it, it's uncommon. Um, and I, I think knowing what I know now about the job, being in it a little over five years, look, it has its distinct advantages and disadvantages. It depends upon the seasonality of the school and uh, and, and the man himself. For me, whatever reason, God uh, opened some doors of exposure and experience at a young age, meaning my service at Southern primarily and also pastoral experiences that kind of help for that. But um, – I couldn't imagine doing this job without the energy level I have. Let me put it that way. Yeah. Now, I'm not an older man, so I don't know how one's energy level diminishes or doesn't diminish as one ages. But I do know the energy level needed in the job, and especially at the season of this institution I came, being young was especially helpful. Good, good. So what were some of the particular challenges of um, really the the potential for turnaround, what you saw, you said, you know, some of the things you, you couldn't anticipate. What were some of the things that you could that you just knew this is something I have to address from, you know, day one or year one? Yeah, look, I, I think any organization, ministry, entity, whatever, it needs to have a reason for existence. I mean, I think that's, again, should be pretty obvious. Um, I, 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 so you need to know why you're there and be able to state that in a convictional and compelling way. And so I mean this, not to sound just to give a platitude here or sound, you know, heroic or courageous, but I did not know how well the vision for the church would resonate. I mean, I had a hunch it would resonate, but that really was a convictional move. I mean, I wasn't poll tested or anything. And, you know, Charles likes to tell the story. Charles Smith, who's a colleague here, when we came and just was kind of getting unpacked. I mean, these were early weeks. We had a a group come in town to meet with very early. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing it's maybe December of 12, about building a website for the seminary. And and I, I wanted them to come in town t- for us to talk through the design and, like, what this is going to be, how this is going to be presented. I did not want them to come in town to spend two days talking about what I wanted to do with the seminary. And so we sit down for this meeting. We're having breakfast over at a restaurant at Barcliff that actually is now closed. Um, and, and we sit down for coffee this breakfast. And, and, and like, they begin to frame the conversation, like, want to do, like, a full day of exploring the vision of the school. <laughs> And and I just said, not trying to be dramatic or anything, I just said, I said, guys, I know the vision of the school, it's for the church. And so I, you know, we want you guys to come in town to help us convey that vision through a website. I don't need to spend two days with you to get at these three words. That's yeah. what we're going to do. And they were, I think, a touch put off at first. Like they were kind of <laughs> deflated. They weren't going to get to imagine the seminary for me. But that, that's not, you know, we did not do that. That's what we wanted to do. So. My point is, Jared, I, I, I knew coming in that was going to be the mission of the school. That was the core conviction I would bring to the table and then how we would flesh that out. What I did not know, honestly, coming in was how um, dire the financial situation was. Um, I don't think the trustees fully perceived that, and so they weren't keeping it from me. They didn't know. So you're here early weeks and got people on the administrative team talking about whether or not we can meet payroll at year's end. Well, that, that's news to me. Yeah. And so the first really year – or so, year and a half financially, I mean, it was crawling through broken glass. 
And so, I mean, just basic things you take for granted, again, meeting payroll, um, having the money just, you know, again, not to spend on luxurious items, but just the basic needs to function to be in business. And so I, the way I, I use it, the, the analogy I use is it was like for me my Great Depression experience. For my grandmother, you know, she went through the Great Great Depression, so it framed her life's understanding of finances like till she died. Yeah. Well, for me, it just it reframed for me money, institutional budgeting, priority, stewardship, and the fact you just can't like take it for granted. You got money to pay your bills. You have to budget for that and be mindful of that and work for that. And so. So that that complicated things. I was determined from the very beginning to my my very best to recruit and retain the very best people for slots here. So we sought very early to treat every vacancy, I mean, as though the, the future of the seminary depended on it. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, even you know, metaphorically, if if we have a vacancy in the you know, in a janitorial position, a custodial position, it, it matters who you hire. And it's funny we're having this conversation, I'm looking across the table at you. I remember when uh, we had a vacancy in the communications position, uh, in a communications position here, and you had just come and spoken our first for the church conference there in uh, the August of fourteen, and I remember saying to Charles, I said, "Well, have you talked to Jerry Wilson about it?" And he said, well, "There's no way he he want to come here." I said, "Well, you don't know." <laughs> and I said, "Maybe he will. Never know what God's doing in a man's heart." And so some conversations led to you yeah. coming here, and then there've been other stories on the faculty side, big wins there, and and administrative sides. And um, look, I, I tell people if you aim to hire the best. Sometimes the best says no, but sometimes they don't. Yeah. And you actually do get to hire the best. And I, I really, not to throw a spiritual bow on it, but I do think deeply spiritual about these things. I want people that that, that resonate with our call and um, that they, they, they believe this vision and, and that, that animates them. I want to hire people, Jared, that three days a week they'd rather be pastoring. I mean that. Three days a week I'd rather be pastoring. Yeah. And so there's always a little bit of an internal discomfort with being kind of an institutional guy, in quotes. But your love for local church, your love to train ministers for the local church, your love that the vision we have for local church kind of tips the scale. So four days of the week, you're glad you're here. Yeah. Well, I know, you know, that vision is what grabbed me. Uh, you know, when you said earlier about the, you know, the social awareness, you throwing out other names out. It was a very similar conversation. The first conversation I had with Charles was very similar and that he was driving me back from that first for the church conference which as far as I knew, I was just here for that speaking engagement and said, we're looking for this role. And if you have any recommendations, and so I'm, you know, I'm throwing out names that I, but it didn't even occur to me to think, well, why don't you think about me? And so when the phone call came a couple of weeks later, um, what, what grabbed me was what you just said, that um, what you want, what the seminary wants is guys who every day may be feeling that pull to pastoral ministry, just the heart for the local church. And yeah. I found that to be, you know, such a, a heartbeat here as well. Yeah, that's kind. And look, that, that's imperative. The day that we are populated our, our employees, our staff with a bunch of people that are just institutional kind of wonks, I mean, it's the day we've missed it. Yeah. And look, I believe passionately in this vision. And so when I'm talking to a whoever, a potential faculty member about coming, it's not a sales pitch. I believe in what we're doing. I remember, you know, Christian George is a dear friend of both of ours. And talking about the vision of the Spurgeon Library, and, of course, I knew his passion. There's a moment, there's always kind of a moment of crisis of the person who may come, because it's a step. Whether you got eight kids and you're, you're taking a pay cut to come or you have no children and it's a pay raise to come. Anytime you move your family, move yourself, it's a step of faith. Yeah. I remember there's a point of a little bit of crisis with Christian, and uh, he's like, Dr. Allen, can you really say to me, you think I'll, I'll be glad if I say yes? I said, Christian, <laughs> I promise you, if you don't say yes, 
the rest of your life you're going to be you're going to be regretting not coming. And yeah. I said I say that based on what I know of you, what I know of the seminary, but also what we are going to do with the Spurgeon Library. That was before we had a Spurgeon Library. Yeah. I and mean, we had the books, but we didn't have any of this, the, the, the library itself, the houses. It said, you're going to spend the rest of your life trolling our website, wishing <laughs> wishing you were a part of this. You know, you, yeah. were, you were like made for this, Christian. Your passions, this lost Spurgeon, Sermons of Spurgeon project. Everything about this is just dripping in providence. That's right. Has there been anything in the last, you know, five years of growth that has surprised you? Anything that you thought, wow, you know, I didn't anticipate that or that? hit at a level that I wasn't, you know, expecting? Oh, yeah, sure. Look, I'll tell you, we've grown much more than I expected. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a sense in which I'm a, you know, a dreamer, and I believe God can and, and, and does do big things. But but the, the goal I had in mind, it kind of the big fat goal I had, Jared, at circa November 2012, was by 2020 to be at 2,000 students. <laughs> no, I mean it. Yeah, well. It really was. And, and, and that, and then, you know, then we were, whatever, 11, 1,200 students, give or take. And... I um that was not based upon anything empirical like okay the data tells me we can grow by whatever eighty yeah. percent by by twenty twenty um, because the average accredited seminary in North America has a hundred and fifty students mm-hmm. and which is pretty staggering we live in kind of big seminary world of Southern yeah. Baptist but the average accredited seminary in North America has one hundred and fifty students the average seminary not just the average the the vast majority of seminaries in North America for the last few years have been plateaued or declining. But for me, I'm just looking at our financial need, what, what I think is proportionality, a, a, a role we can fill in the Southern Baptist world and the broader evangelical world and setting a goal for 2,000 students. And so we, we began to, um, to see, we began to, to sense God's favor in hires, began to sense God's favor in some early, some big financial gifts that were given to kind of prop us up financially, began to get some wins, and then coming into really... Uh, the spring of 14 is when, man, the applications, I mean, they, they were kind of growing, growing, growing. Then we began to come in kind of February, March, April, May of 14. Man, this thing is really a whole nother level coming to the fall of 14. And so that was that first big, like, step growth. For us, like, man, there's kind of a wave coming in 14 and then 15, 16, and 17. And by God's grace, we've kind of persisted into 18. And so, uh, so yeah, I mean, I've, honestly, I've been surprised by all that. It's been been more than uh, than than I imagined. I'll tell you, as we're talking here, we're recording this uh, here right before Christmas in 2017. I get an email yesterday afternoon about um, three o'clock. Comes into the office from 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 the daughters of Dr. Milton Ferguson. Dr. Ferguson was my predecessor to removed. He was president here from 1973 to 1995. He's uh, 89 years old, about to 90 years old, in just a um, couple of weeks. Well, he's been placed in hospice care uh, with a form of cancer that is terminal and, you know, weeks, not months is what, what they're looking at. Well, he's, he's still lived in the Kansas City area all these years, kind of taking the lunch once a semester. So we have a good rapport, and um, we were talking last night about enrollment and about when he came. <laughs> and he was talking about uh, his dream was that the seminary would, would hit an FTE, meaning a full-time enrollment, of 100 students. And in the 70s, about 1976, was when they kind of punched through that. And just to think over that time horizon, yeah. what, what that was taking place, and then especially the past five years, how that's accelerated. Okay. Well, let's talk about 2020. Sure. What do you see ahead? What's the vision for the next five years or so? Yeah, well, 2020 is two years away, not five. But, uh, <laughs> right. Well, I have five years on my script here. That's but. right. That's right. Uh, yeah. I'm not a math guy. That's why I work at a seminary. That's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, a couple of things I would say. First of all, the vision is going to look remarkably similar. 
And so th- that's kind of the big riverboat gamble with being so loud about for the church. Yeah. You know, this is not like a deal you do for 18 months and then you kind of do something else. We're not going to have the year of the Bible, then the, the year of prayer, you know, or, or whatever, <laughs> right. like a different emphasis. That's us. So so we're committed to that long term. And what has been particularly rewarding for me is to kind of see that go from being my vision, as I say, to being our vision, to being to being the vision. And so I want to so embed that here that uh, if I get hit by a bus next year or if God lets me serve another 30 years, whatever it is, I'm gone. That, that's kind of here. It's pretty hard to unwind that if you're, my, if you're my successor. That being said, therefore, for us, what does that mean? Well, we are in the middle right now of massive transition. I mean, as you and I meet, there are, there's a $13 million student center going in about 150 yards from where we're sitting that's on right. our campus. Yeah. Starting a couple of weeks, there's close to $3 million in renovation going on in our trustee building classroom wing. So, man, it just keeps keeps going on around us. So we see that coming together. And then, frankly, the next several years after that, significant work on housing and other institutional really needs slash upgrade. So for me, I, I mentioned being particularly finding the vision, taking home, being particularly rewarding. Seeing people come on campus, I've been on campus in, in years and just like kind of blown away by yeah. the transformations fun. Additionally, for me is... In the months and years ahead, we'll continue to make faculty additions and uh, seeking to do the very best there. Um, I, I believe God's most evident sign of God's favor is not the numerical growth of the financial strength, but uh, but frankly, the people He's called to serve here. You're part of that, but I'm, I, I don't. You, know, you start naming names, you leave people out. But I'll take a stab. You, know, you think about John Mark Yates and Jason Dusing, Owen Strand, Matthew Barrett, you know Christian George, Matt Millsap. You know, Dave, I mean, the list kind of keeps going. People who's called to serve here that are just, man, A-quality people. And it matters. It matters as far as the seminary reaching its full potential. It matters as far as doing it with the honors of the Lord. And it just matters, frankly, for our day-to-day joy. And if people could eavesdrop on this campus, I think they wouldn't be surprised here. You know, before the church talk, they wouldn't be surprised to see the enrollment buzz. I think they might be surprised at how much laughter they would overhear. Yeah. I mean, it's a cheerful place. And so you will see us continue to to add, man, the very best people we can add on the faculty and staff. And so we always live, given our growth on the one hand, and given our determination to be hyper-intentional, we always live with a little bit of a hiring deficit, meaning there's always vacancies we need to fill. And so I think 2018 is going to bring uh, a surprise or two along those lines. They're going to be very strong for the seminary uh, and very helpful for the seminary. Excellent. Well, we're looking forward to it. Dr. Allen, thanks so much for being on. It's always a pleasure. My goodness, I can't believe time has flown by that quickly, and uh, I've talked too much. No. I've talked too much. But you're no, the guest. You're supposed to talk too much. No, I really have. Look, let me just put a ball and say this. Sure. I, I'm blown away by what God's done. Um, I have a keen sense this is much beyond me, much bigger than me, and as much as earthly credit goes, it goes to the team that's here. I say to those listening, uh, the buzz is real. Man, come study here. Be with us. Be a part of what God's doing here. Uh, 2018 is to be a great year, and I uh, would love for you to be a part of it. Yeah, I say amen to that. We've been speaking with Jason K. Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and also author or editor of several books, including The SBC and the 21st Century, Discerning Your Call to Ministry, Portraits of a Pastor, and coming next year from Brahman and Holman, Becoming a Christian. He also hosts the weekly podcast Preaching and Preachers, and you can find him online at jasonkallen.com. As always, if you like the podcast, please share it with your friends, review us on iTunes, Every Little Bit Helps. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, managing editor of For the Church, found online at ftc.co. 
This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.